This episode is brought to you by Toyota's Good For Footy Gear Grants. Welcome to the Female Athlete Project, Season 2. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist in Rugby Sevens and I'm now playing for the GWS Giants in the AFLW. I started TFAP to share the stories of incredible female athletes and to address the gender inequalities that exist within the sports media space. We want to change that story and we're all about making news and highlights of women's sport easily accessible across our platforms. Our hope is that more female athletes will become household names and in turn enable the next generation of young kids to pick up a ball, racket, bat, board, whatever they want to pick. Daisy Pearce is a pioneer of women's football. She grew up in country Victoria, playing footy with the boys until the age of 13, when she was told that she wasn't allowed to anymore. Later, in her teenage years, she discovered women's football for the first time and has since gone on to become one of the faces of the AFLW competition. After giving birth to twins in 2019, Daisy successfully returned to the AFLW and is forging a path for women in the media, commentary and coaching space. I've played against Daisy in the AFLW and admired her work from a distance for a very long time, so it was a huge honour to have the chance to sit down and chat with her to learn more about her story. I really hope you enjoy it. Daisy Pierce, welcome to the Female Athlete Project. Hey Chloe, thanks for having me. Awesome to join you. I'm very much looking forward to having a chat, a bit about footy and a bit about your incredible life story so far. To kick us off, can you tell us a bit about what Daisy was like as a little kid? Oh, um, what was I like as a little kid? Um, I grew up in country Victoria with a brother like two, two years either side of me. Um, so I was pretty sporty and competitive, like sport was just a big part of family and the community. Um, and particularly with my older brother, Harry, who's two years older than me, like everyone used to think we were twins because we were similar height and, um, yeah, just did everything. Like I just idolised him and my whole life's purpose was to be better than him at anything and everything possible, <laughs> whether it was like racing for the front seat of the car or footy or anything. So um, that's where I guess my um, competitiveness was probably cultivated. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was pretty. Um, I was a pretty kind of shy and reser- reserved kid as well, which is funny. Like, because despite that, I always found ways to just stick out, <laughs> much to my own horror. Like, um, yeah, I never wanted to tie my hair up. I always wore <laughs> Harry's hand-me-down clothes. Um, I went to a primary school with about at the time when, like, through my journey of primary school at Wandilagong Primary School, there were about 40 kids in the whole school. And I still remember this time in grade four where I went into the the girls' toilets and walked out and a kid who I'd gone to school with for the entire primary school said to me, what are you? What were you doing in there? <laughs> like, he just thought I was a boy because I just kicked around um, playing sports and wearing my brother's hand-me-down clothes, which I just died for. Like, um, yeah, so... I was shy and hated standing out but kind of always did, whether it was because I did dress differently to a lot of the girls or even just like even though I was shy and a bit reserved, like I was a bit outspoken as well, which is funny now like in terms of my leadership journey and also my journey in footy and I guess um, the different little parts I've played in it along the way. Like 
um, yeah, you sort of don't want any limelight, but you find yourself in it because you've got an opinion on things and you think it's you, you want to share it. So that was there even in my childhood. Like probably the best story to sum me up as a kid was this netball grand final. I'd tell this all the time to describe me as a kid. I'd worn it was mixed netball. I'd worn shorts the whole season because I just wouldn't have been seen dead in a skirt. And then we made the grand final, and the netball boss lady came up and said you have to wear a skirt because it's the grand final and then, I don't know, it might have been because photos were going to get taken or, I don't know, we just all had to suddenly abide by the uniform rules. And I was like, well, I'm I'm not wearing a skirt. And I, this, like my internal turmoil was like so competitive, had to win this grand final, but I was not compromising on that and thought it was ridiculous because the boys were allowed to wear shorts. So I just silently took off my goal attack bib, handed it to her and went and sat on the bench. And eventually just sat there stubbornly and quietly just thinking, surely they're going to crack and let me play and then was allowed to play. So like those kind of little moments where where I didn't want attention, but I'd find it because I was a bit strong-minded. I like that. I feel like it's symbolic of the journey you've gone on. The fact that you, it's almost like you didn't have to speak up and make a big deal about it. You kind of just went and sat there and waited for them to do the thing that was right and allow you to play. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, and like like I say, I sort of kept and keep finding myself in situations like that. Like my personality is pretty, I'm an introvert and um, do not love attention or any, but, you know, I don't really like limelight, but here I am doing a job that puts you on TV every weekend. Like what the heck am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first game of footy you ever played? Yes. Yeah, other than the the ones in the backyard that were kind of fought to blood or tears or both. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the first game I ever played, like my my career kind of started at tagging along um, to my brother's footy um, as the only girl and I I wasn't playing. I'd just be training and a lot of the time just kind of off to the side thinking I was a part of it in my own little mind (laughs) Um, and maybe getting to get involved in the warm-up and that kind of thing but then my dad eventually started coaching Harry's team and through that I started joining in in the whole training sessions and then progressed from there to kind of sitting on the bench suited up (laughs) but not actually being a player but I was kind of lucky because dad you know never kind of conforms to social norms and also growing up in country Victoria where everything's a bit more relaxed. Like I was one of probably 15 younger siblings that would be sitting there on the bench in the oversized mismatched bright footy uniforms (laughs) Um, and with about two or three minutes to go because the other team would be in a similar position. Under-13s was the earliest age group that footy started up there where where I grew up in the northeast. And um, they'd kind of, both coaches would just give each other a nod and on would run like 15 kids in the last 15 minutes or the last couple of minutes of the game. So if that counts, <laughs> that, that was how I played my first game. And, you know, in my mind, like probably the first few times I did that, I didn't even touch the ball, but it just was would like, it was the highlight of my life at that point that I was out there playing in a real match and you know, to me at that point, you just think you've made it. <laughs> and I actually yes. remember kicking a goal like that, like ran straight down to the goal square and one of my brother's mates, one of the older kids, kicked what would have been a certain goal, but I was just camped in the goal square as one of the little extras. <laughs> there was no shepherding it through. I <laughs> hung on, turned around. You need around to take that glory. Yeah, I booted it through. <laughs> so that was my first ever goal as well. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. 
How long did it take you until you could almost hold your own against the boys? Uh, uh, I, I don't sort of know how long after that or exactly when it was, but it's funny, like my memory of a lot of my junior career, once I actually started playing, I think that sort of just after those little moments and then when I, once I got actually old enough and big enough, I just became a bit of a part of the furniture and there wasn't any real farts. I just started playing. Um, but, yeah, through, you know, under-13s and that kind of thing, it's funny. I, I kind of developed, a lot of girls do kind of develop sooner than the, than the boys. So when I'm asked, people often have a tone of, oh, how did you go playing against boys for so long? But I was actually one of the biggest and I was probably bigger relatively then than I am now in AFLW. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I was the... Yeah, early bloomer who liked potato cakes. So I played out of the goal square as a full forward and often had a size advantage. <laughs> um, whereas now I kind of look like I'm probably going to get more thrown around these days playing women's footy. So, yeah, holding my own. I don't know. I I was always, yeah, like competitive. I, I, I probably wouldn't have been within my nature to keep going if I just felt like I was being humid or making up the numbers. So, um, I think I refused anything but to hold my own and, and, and always kind of had, which I'm sure so many females have had growing up, like this feeling that you had to prove yourself and try harder and do more. So I think that and having a brother who was, a, you know, a good little player and slightly bigger than me by that stage um, to compete against, it just, yeah, put me in good stead to be able to compete pretty well. When did the decision come about that you couldn't continue to play footy with the boys? Yeah, so, again, most of my career I kind of just played knowing that I was allowed to play for now but that at the under-13s I'd have to stop, um, which I think about a bit right? because I was still so driven and I was still, you know, even though I was aware of that fact, it didn't really hamper the way that I played or trained or what I was thinking about myself in my mind, like, um, I meant business, even though there was this very clear dead end. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm lucky in that sense, and it is interesting that that's the case. But um, yeah, so I came to the under end of under 13s, and um, I still remember it was like everyone was kind of on eggshells around me because they knew this was going to be a big deal. Um, and to put into context, probably how much footy had meant to me, my mum and dad separated. Um, when I was about seven and lived in the same little country town up until when I was about 11. But then mum's new partner had lived um, lived in Melbourne. So her and my brothers packed up and left to go to Melbourne. And I, I stayed in Brighton. I think part of the reason being, one, I thought someone better look after dad, but also I um, it was uh, when I reflect on that, like why does an 11-year-old decide to stay in a little town with just dad when the rest of the families head off to Melbourne and part of it was yeah I just wasn't ready to leave footy and that little bubble that I had where I was accepted as as just me <laughs> um yeah so that's how big footy kind of was in my life so then come to under 13s and yeah everyone sort of knew it was going to be <laughs> a big deal that I wasn't allowed to play anymore and dad tried to soften the blow with all sorts of things like seasons passes to the snow because we lived up at the snow and <laughs> He promised to bring me down to every Carlton game that we could and all these, you know, softeners that were going to get me through. But right on the eve of the season, like I think I still remember it was the pie night, the the um, pie night before the start of the, the boys' season and I didn't think I was going to be playing. So I think I was 
think I had it in my head that I was going to be boundary umpiring or something, but Dad just turned up at the pie night and on the way in he said, um, get ready because you're going to get a jumper, you're playing. And I was like, oh, what? what? what's happened? And he, he then told me that he'd driven down to Myrtleford where the head office was and he'd convinced them to let me play. So I didn't ask too many questions. I don't know what he did or said, but my career got a bit of a lifeline for another year or two. <laughs> and then I played one more year and ended up, by then I'm, I think I was about, yeah, nearly 14, puberty, needed my mum back around. <laughs> so I was, I, I moved back to Melbourne after another year, but it was good to get an extra one. What was your headspace like coming into your early teens? Did you feel like that was going to be it for footy or was it looking at it that you're going to have this small window where you're not allowed to play and you had to wait until you could play with the grown women? No, I had no idea about women's footy at that point. Like it, it kind of, it's crazy because um, footy had, had existed in Victoria, women's footy since the 1980s and I was footy mad, but it kind of points to how um, grassroots and almost underground women's footy was at that point because I'd never heard of it. I honestly thought it was just my last game of footy and I was resigned to that fact. I started playing other sports and got busy doing other things, but I never thought I'd play another game of footy again. Um, yeah, so it wasn't until uh, school footy in, I think I must have been in year eight or maybe even older, maybe year nine or ten, when there was a school footy notice that came up on the sports notice board. I just, that was, again, one of the most exciting days of my life because I just thought it might only be a one-day round robin, but I was going to be playing in a real footy game again. <laughs> and, and, again, I had no ambition beyond that like I didn't know one existed yeah isn't it crazy so at the age of 16 I think it was and you you went down to the Darabin Falcons so we've got a lot of we've got listeners all around the countries and international as well so obviously the Melbourne listeners may have a good idea about Darabin but for those in in other states or particularly our Sydney listeners who might not watch a lot of footy the there's a bit of a dynasty that's been created. You're a very big part of that um, at the Darabin Falcons, very well known for their success over a number of years. What did it feel like when you first walked into that club? Yeah, it was actually through that school footy day that I found my way there because I, I went to school in Eltham and went and played this round robin. And I, as I was leaving school footy, I was getting on the school bus and one of the umpires from the day, a woman came up and she said, oh, you should play footy. And I remember looking at her just thinking, I know, but I can't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I would be if I could. <laughs> um, and then she was the one that enlightened me on women's footy and told me she played at the Darabin Falcons, Narelle Kinross her name was, and she played there for years after. But, um, yeah, so she's kind of dropped this bomb on my life that women's footy existed and I got home and went straight to the school library and started Googling about this magical women's league and trying to find teams. And we were living out in Eltham, so there were teams like Diamond Creek was a team and it was five minutes up the road, but at the time they were in Division 3 or one of the lower divisions. So I, being the competitor that I was, I was like, I am playing, I need to play in the top league. So I found this, Darabin was the closest one, but mum had small kids by this stage, like my youngest brother and sister. So I was going to, I caught the bus to Darabin most weeks until I got an older boyfriend that could drive me there. <laughs> um, but it was about, a, it was literally over an hour each way on a bus to get down to Darabin. And I made that commitment because I wanted to play in the Premier Division and this, this was the closest club. But 
yeah, it's one of those funny little sliding doors moments where I just feel so lucky that I made that decision. No disrespect to the, the Creepers out at Diamond Creek. But, um, yeah, just the impact that that club itself had on my life and the culture and the people that I met and that I wouldn't have gotten to spend as much time with um, had I not made that call and, and gone there. But, yeah, what did it feel like walking in for the first time? Just exhilarating, really. Like, a I'm sure I've given you the listeners the, the drift that I loved footy at the time. So just to be back playing footy was big. But bigger than that was probably the fact that for the first time in my life I had like real role models that I could aspire to be like and a, and a bit of ambition. Um, up until that point in the sport that I loved, it was kind of like you're a bit different and you've got nowhere to go was always a fact. <laughs> um, but here mm. I was at Darabin running around with, other athletic women who loved footy um, and I could aspire to be like them. Like at the time, Karen Stevens was the captain at the Falcons and I she was my first role model that I could genuinely try and um, model myself on as a player and a leader and all of that kind of thing. So to get to, to find that at the ripe old age of 16, <laughs> it's crazy now to think of young girls growing up and all the role models that they can hook onto from a younger age is pretty awesome. Your time at the club was incredibly successful. So it was uh, 10 premierships, having captain Darabin to seven of those flags. You're the six-time winner of the Helen Lambert medal as the competition's best player. And then in recognition of your incredible playing ability, the VFLW renamed its best and fairest the Lambert Pierce medal, which you have also won. How do you go from a 16-year-old who's grown up playing footy and and played with the boys to kind of thinking, how is this even going to work for me, to then achieving that level of success at a club? Yeah, I think um, it, it helped that, like I mentioned before, I was always so um, intrinsically motivated. It, it kind of didn't mattered to me no matter when I was playing along the continuum and even now it didn't matter um kind of what the league was or what other people thought I was doing it was kind of all about me trying to be the best that I could um so I think that that helped that it didn't matter whether I was at that school footy day or (laughs) on as an extra um for the bright mountain men as they were called back then um (laughs) I was just just took myself very seriously and took a lot of pride in what I did, whatever I did, and I was, um, yeah, trying to be the best I could. So I guess that mindset put me in good stead when I landed at Darabin and then suddenly I'm in in an environment that encourages that and has more people trying to do the same thing. Um, Yeah, that that certainly helped. But then other role models as well. I mean, the first season that I got there as player, Peter Searle had become the coach. and she was just incredible in her coaching style at um, both on an individual level and as a team. I mean, you've, you mentioned the success we had as a team and he didn't, you, you would not have known. Like there'd be times where we would be 10 goals up on the scoreboard, but you were going out there with this very clear focus of how we had to improve in that quarter or else. Like, <laughs> So she just had this art of um, driving that uh, continual improvement and growth mindset. and also. Um, in terms of shaping the club for ongoing success and also the people that came out of there, I think just her um, 
awareness to the importance of culture. I mean, this is back in early the, the early two thousands, probably before the word culture became um, trendy. She was sort of ahead of her time, like going down and she wasn't getting paid a cent, but she'd go down and watch AFL teams train and pick up drills, and then also just set a standard for how we carried ourselves off the field that the league at the time just didn't really demand for where it was. Um, so, yeah, I'm so grateful to have been coached by her for those reasons, both on and off the field. You mentioned as a kid your stubbornness to, to I guess, stand up for things. What, who first recognised in you these leadership qualities and how did that then progress to you becoming the captain? I'm not sure who recognised it, but I think, um, again, it was like being surrounded by like-minded role models that um, were advocating for women's footy and women's sport that gave me that voice. I mean, in terms of the on-field leadership role as a captain, I think it was just I was a a footy head who loved the game, (laughs) um, always loved the tactical side of the game. Like I can't remember a time ever watching footy where I'd sit down and just cheer for my team, which was Carlton growing up, to win. Like I was watching more than just the scoreboard and wanting to win. I was kind of always asking why and studying little things and watching on a, on a level that was tactical kind of thing. So I think that meant that um, even when I – because I think, I, I don't know, I might have been 20 when I first started captaining and it was grown women, but – I just had an, a way to be able to kind of do my thing but then also be aware of what's happening along the rest of the field. So um, I think that helped in terms of why I was named captain. But the off-field stuff and the leadership that I've kind of, the role that I've played in helping to, to move women's footy along, I think I just found my voice um, and courage with that, I suppose, from other role models doing the same thing. So I mentioned Pete, Peter Searle, but... Debbie Lee, who was the president of the league for a long time while I was playing. Dan Cooper, who I met from Western Australia um, through playing representative footy. Shiloh Curtis. I mean, it was all stuff that I'd thought my whole life, why can't, why shouldn't women be able to play footy? Um, we can be good at it and we should, we, we deserve the opportunity. And then I just had older, more experienced, more articulate role models around me that were saying the same things in better ways and it sort of just you know ignited the flame for me to to want to push for those things as well we'll get to the start of the aflw competition in a second but how do you feel as a leader you've changed to where you're at now versus that 20 year old you were pretty much still a kid at that point in time right yeah yeah what I'm not now. <laughs> I can't <laughs> pretend I still am. That's what I love about footy clubs. I feel like just you you're all on this similar. You can just there's no there's no ages in footy clubs. Mm. That's why I love coming here. <laughs> um, <laughs> how have I changed? I think the biggest one, um, the biggest evolution has been to accept that people play for all different reasons. Mm. Um, and I to describe what I mean a bit better, I I, I sort of even at the start of AFLW, not even going back as far as being 20 years old at Darabin, but start of AFLW, I was captain in the first year um, for Melbourne. And I just remember thinking, oh, thank goodness. It's AFLW. It's the elite league. Everyone is going to want to train their butts off, do all the right things, eat all the right things. Um, and 
it'll be easy. Everyone will just do that all the time and off we go because that's why we're all here. And it was a bit of a shock and like, uh, I don't know, I remember sort of feeling a bit flat and let down that that pe- that's not what drove people and that not everyone, you know, whilst you have to train at a certain level, level when you're playing elite sport, not everyone is just naturally geared to think that way, work hard, get results, easy. <laughs> like, so I remember frustrations when you come across teammates that are motivated by different things. Um, and I used to resent it almost like, oh, what, I mean, they're just here for the love of the game and to socialise. Like that's not okay. That's not going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I've come to realise that, you know, everyone's reason for playing and what drives them is different and the art of leadership is to make that all work and to make all those people and the team reach their full potential no matter what those reasons or no matter what their strengths are so I think that's been probably the biggest thing for me um like even little things like I remember a coach telling me like oh they people love positive reinforcement and I'm like yeah but I'm not, not going to just go dishing it out for the sake of it what just because they love it they shouldn't need it <laughs> Whereas now I'm like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> Positive, they're happy, they play better. I don't care. <laughs> so I dish it out wherever possible. It's quite an evolution. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, well, here I am. <laughs> I probably wasn't that hardcore. It's probably I'm, I'm describing it in a very extreme way. I wasn't like a drill sergeant. I've always um, seen the value of, the fun side of the game and the importance of fun in any environment, but yeah, even at the elite environment. But I, I have definitely shifted my view. <laughs> Taking a step back to when you were at Darabin, do you remember the moment finding out that the, it was announced that the AFLW was going to become officially a competition? Yeah, um, I think it was off the back of um, one of the exhibition games that they held. Um, yeah, I remember Gil announcing that because for a long time it was, oh, in 2020 and in 2020 that's what all the modelling kind of, whatever that means, had shown <laughs> when they'd be able to be a, a AFLW competition. So, um, yeah, I remember kind of thinking, oh, that'll be at the back end of my career. But then, yeah, to, to have it brought forward to 2017 was exciting. Um, and, yeah, Gil announced it off the back of one of, a couple of exhibition games that they'd had to kind of showcase women's footy um, and that had helped kind of speed it up and to have it brought forward was pretty exciting. You made your debut in the first round of the inaugural AFLW competition against Brisbane at Casey Fields. Who did you get your first jumper from and how did it feel to put it on for the first time? Oh, I think... I'm shocking at these kind of little details of who and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's actually a hard question. <laughs> I, I'm always impressed when people can rattle off all those little details. It's always obscure stuff that I remember. But, no, I think it would have been Mick, our coach, Mick Stanier, who's mm-hmm. still our coach, and I just couldn't speak more highly of him. So it was an It would have been, <laughs> I'm sure, an honour to have received my jumper from him. <laughs> but, no, it was very exciting. It would have been at our jumper presentation, the first ever one, so just incredible excitement in the room but yeah I still remember putting it on um for that first game like you've grown up loving AFL footy and following it and now have an opportunity to go out and play and just to look down and see a real AFL jumper with the AFL logo on it 
Um, yeah, I'll never forget it. You're also an ambassador for Toyota's Good for Footy Gear Grants and you had the chance to go and lo- uh, visit a few local footy clubs and present girls with their very own jumpers. How did it feel for you to give these girls their jumpers and how did they feel when they received them? Oh, it's it's always so special. It's one of the, um, you know, the real highlights that I get, whether it's just walking around on a weekend and seeing the amount of girls playing the game now in parks all over the place or, um, yeah, presenting jumpers to, to teams of girls. Like I, I grew up as one out, the only girl in the team wearing like a big old woolen footy jumper that didn't fit me, but it, it didn't really matter in my young mind, but I now see the, the impact that it, it would could have on so many young girls and just their confidence in going out and playing and feeling like they belong in the sport. So, yeah, to see a, a young girls team fully kitted up in their uniform um, is pretty special um, and something that I'm always, yeah, so proud of to have seen how far footy's come in that period of time um, is pretty pretty awesome. And, yeah, how is it received? I think it's a bit dependent on the age group, to be honest. Like, it, it's awesome with older women. I think they understand the gravity of it as well. But it's almost equally cool that the young girls that you give them to are just like, yeah, here I am. I'm playing yes. footy and I belong. Like, there's a sense of just, I don't know if entitlement's the right word, but I say that if it is the right word in the most, indi- like, positive way possible. Yeah, I love that. I'm glad that these 10-year-olds just grab it and own it and feel like it's theirs. There isn't this sense of um, look how far we've come and how great is it that we now have this opportunity. Like let's hope that the generations from now on just feel like it's normal and, um, yeah, standard. (laughs) I love that comparison between the women receiving it. It means more to them because they've been through the experience of not having things like that. And if I think about where I hope women's sport gets to as a whole. I, that's my hope, right? That the next generation of kids come through. And it, I think entitlement is kind of a cool word because not in the negative sense, but it's like, yeah, of course I get one of these because I'm a girl playing yeah. footy and, and that's just how it works. Yeah. Like a deep sense of belonging like mm. that, that they have rather than having to convince anyone of that or be grateful that they've got a chance to belong. <laughs> like let's drop all that and just belong. <laughs> Now for a quick halftime break. This episode is brought to you by Toyota's Good For Footy Gear Grants. Toyota are very proud to support female footy teams around Australia. And in the 2021-22 season, gave another 100 teams brand new uniforms designed specifically for female players. It's just a small way that Toyota can help women and girls playing footy for years to come. In February, 2019, you gave birth to twins. Did you know this is a bit of a worry, but I was like, February 2019. Where's she going? Yeah, what's what's that? I should I should have quizzed you. And tell me what happened in February 2019. <laughs> oh shit, that would have been a worry if I hadn't come up with it. But yeah, go ahead. So I'll cut you off. <laughs> Being a female athlete, it's a totally different thing to have to juggle when you're a male athlete if you um, with your partner, give birth. It's a different story. You don't have to take time away. How was that process of mentally dealing with stepping away from the game for pregnancy? Oh, it was a roller coaster. Um, yeah, was it part of the plan? I was, I'm pretty spontaneous as a person, which is um, 
yeah, good and bad. <laughs> um, good in this sense because I think you're right. Like if I think if you, I thought too much about it, there would be so many reasons why not to. And um, I guess an element of risk and yeah, giving something up um, always played on my mind. But um, yeah, it was kind of a period of time in the off season where other priorities kind of took over and, um, yeah, I honestly didn't put uh, – I'm trying to say this in the right way. <laughs> to say I didn't put a lot of time and thought into it is probably <laughs> a bit wild. But um, in terms right. of my we'll career, I don't know. I just it, it was just a time in my life where I was taking some time away from footy and that priority kind of just shot to the top and I it was kind of a good thing because I'm I'm always glad it happened that way and I didn't go down the path of over, overthinking it because I might not have made that decision um but yeah it's life-changing physically emotionally mentally um and the best part like I'm so so glad we made that decision we've got these two cute little beautiful babies that are the best things that have ever happened to us and um for all the things that I couldn't control and that were unpredictable with childbirth, um, I've been okay and here I am back playing. But it's been, yeah, an absolute roller coaster the whole journey of it. I remember when I first fell pregnant, like obviously initially elation, but then as the weeks rolled on and it kind of dawned on me or really set in that I wasn't going to be playing footy, there was an ele- this weird element of guilt. Um, and having to tell my teammates, like, obviously their first reaction was utter excitement. But for some reason I felt like I was letting them down a bit because I was the captain at the time and wasn't going to be able to play. Yeah, so it was it, – it's a funny emotional roller coaster going through that. But, um, yeah, the more pregnant I got, the kind of easier it was to accept that you weren't playing because it just became so physically impossible. But, um, yeah, the journey back, I'm kind of glad that – I just made the commitment that I was going to get back because I think if I'd left it up to, like, I sort of was locked in and had made that commitment and then just my natural personality to be determined got me through. But it was wild to get it, like, trying to deal with twins and getting yourself physically physically right to get back and play. It was crazy. But as time goes on, it kind of gotten easier. I do want to ask that question but to step away from footy for a second what was it like to give birth to two beautiful little human beings that you were then responsible for oh that is a big question (laughs) it was awesome like it's amazing just that your body can yeah it's a miracle really your body can grow a baby let alone two um yeah so empowering and so special to have two little people that you've created, um, yeah, and Ben. So, yeah, to then watch them grow and see their little personalities come out, like it's just amazing. It's our greatest achievement and creation. It's hard to kind of put into words, but, yeah. Um, Yeah, I kind of don't know how to describe it properly, but (laughs) um, the physical side of it was, insane as well like mm. I still my when I lay on the massage table to get treatment like I can feel my zippy sternum 
points out now because it just got dislodged from being pregnant. It never went back to normal. So, it's, yeah, like that's how my bones move and never went back to normal. Um, yeah, and just crazy, the physical transformation. I had to have a Caesar because, yeah, it was pretty high-risk pregnancy in the end. Like um, Roy, our little boy, has a heart condition and Sylvie was great. Everything that you – it was kind of like – a big mix of everything. I'm a midwife by my day job prior to getting involved in footy and now commentary, but, yeah, it was like everything you wouldn't have wished for <laughs> we kind of got. So it was, um, yeah, I had to have a Caesar because of all those reasons. It was a, yeah, long recovery, but it's just incredible what your body can do. Um, and now I kind of, you know, there's like a little club in AFLW now of all the mums or expectant mums kind of. <laughs> reach out and wish each other well in the comeback but it is amazing what your body can do and I I wouldn't I'd, I'd say that any AFLW player or athlete like don't let it hold you back because your body is capable of amazing things to have the right support. I'm interested in this this balance of the the career as a midwife of, as well so it reminded me because I'm a physio, I'm a qualified physio. I don't work as one at the moment, but sometimes when I'm playing footy and if I have like a niggle or if I like have a bit of an injury in my head, I'm like, okay, it could be this, 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 or this. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I just didn't know. Was that a similar experience for you being a midwife, giving birth to these twins, almost wishing there were some things you just could just relax and just let it all happen without worrying about it? No, I sort of, I was sort of glad for the knowledge. I think like for me, uh, knowledge was power. Um, yeah, I like to know. So it was it was never um, crippling or a bad thing that I knew stuff. I don't think it was kind of gave me confidence because for everything that I um, knew that was unpredictable and, you know, could, could potentially go wrong with pregnancy and childbirth, I also knew what the amazing wise doctors were capable of and um, that what to do if things popped up. So, yeah, there was a a level of um, reassurance that came from knowing me. Every week on the show I've got a question from a six-year-old and from my grandma. So I might start with the question from my granny. Hi, Daisy. I do admire your drive to play AFLW now that you are a mum to Sylvie and Roy. How has that drive changed over the years? Oh, how has it changed? Um, well, it's, at its core, it's probably pretty similar, which, um, yeah, some people might be surprised by. Like I remember getting asked, I think it was um, when I was first coming back to play my first game back in the 2020 season, um, you know, how does it feel and, you know, you must be, thinking about Roy and Sylvie, it must really motivate you. And it was a bit blunt, but I was like, well, it sort of doesn't. Like I'm out here trying to win. Like The, the motivations are similar, that you're a competitor, you want to play footy at the highest level, compete against the best and um, try and improve and win. So that motivation is still at the core of why I play. But I, it's funny, I, my perspective has certainly changed and whether that – there was a definite shift post-kids um, coming back after having Sylvie and Roy, but maybe it just comes a bit with age as well. But I certainly have a greater sense for um, just enjoying all the little moments along the way Um, because, yeah, I think having that year off where I wasn't allowed to play was 
um, a good little um, sample of what life's like without footy and you kind of realise how great it is to be a part of a team and to go out there every week into battle and trying to win a game of footy. Like that that cycle of the week in a club or any sporting team, I'd imagine, is pretty special. Um, so, yeah, nowadays I, I certainly find enjoyment in more of the little moments during the week and it's an outlet now as well. Like whereas once I might have um, come to training and thought, you know, the demands were hard and the physical side of it was just awful <laughs> all of the training. Now it's kind of like, well, this is a treat. Like this is a luxury <laughs> to be at, out of the house and not running around after twins for three hours. So don't waste the opportunity. <laughs> mm. Like actually enjoy it, even though at times it gets hard and physically you don't want to do it. It's, yeah, it's given me that perspective of this is a privilege really because, um, yeah, all the support that I have to be able to do it, whether it's been at home looking after the kids or both our mums, um, yeah, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without their support. So it pops into my head of like, you know, don't trudge around just going through the motions. Like think about all that it's taken to um, get you here tonight and go and make the most of it. It sounds like you've got an incredible support network and it's an evolving space. We're seeing more female athletes giving birth and and making this comeback to elite sport, what more do you think needs to be done in that space to help that transition to return? Through my experience and then talking to others, I reckon it would be great if there was like a a centralised resource of, you know, I, I know every person and every pregnancy and situation will be ultimately different, but to have um, a guide or a resource or a variety of resources that um, pregnant athletes could utilise because I know there was just a lot of unknown when um, I first became pregnant and that was for me as a midwife. Um, but in terms of for the club, like it was the first time they'd ever had a pregnant athlete on their list and it was kind of like um, there was a lot of um, reluctance to push kind of thing, whereas now in hindsight I feel like I missed an opportunity to kind of keep training physically at a certain level. Um, so I think with the right resources and support, um, you could, yeah, make sure that you stay connected and do what you can physically to, so that you don't leave yourself with too much work to do at the back end. I think if that was shared throughout the league, it would be even more powerful. Um, and then the same at the back end, like once you're returning to running and returning to contact and that kind of thing, there's um, good female physios and that kind of thing out there, which my club physio would come with me to to, to kind of learn from and um, support me through that more niche kind of period of time. Um, but, yeah, to have something that was, like, readily accessible and known about would be, I think, really helpful. Um, and then, yeah, just resource sharing, sharing um, experiences and different ideas that different clubs have done once, you know, you have kids. Again, it was similar once because I breastfed Roy, Roy and Sylvie, so juggling all of that in and around training was, um, yeah, logistically tricky. <laughs> um, and a lot of it because you're doing it for the first time, and I don't know if it's just my natural personality or if others have felt this, but you just don't you, you don't want any special treatment or you don't want to be a pain in anyone's butt, so you sort of don't want to ask for anything. But if it was um, 
within this resource that I'm talking about, it just had recommendations as to how you can help with that kind of thing. It would give you a reference to kind of get that up and running without having to a ask. But a lot of it, it wasn't until after that I was like, oh yeah, I could have done with some help with that. Like you're sort of just in do mode and survival mode. You don't really know what would help you until it's yeah, it's helping you or it's too late. <laughs> Another big element of your career has been moving into the commentary space. You're very well known for your work, um, your expert opinion and analysis. And what I love seeing is is I love watching you and, and your clear knowledge and understanding of the game and the way that you can analyze it and break it down. What I also love is is if I'm on Twitter and I see comments across the board, it's very well recognized that you know what you're talking about. And I think for a woman to come into a space like that, um, that's a traditionally male-dominated game, it's a traditionally male-dominated space to have, have male commentators and, and males analyzing the game. What was that experience like for you to step into that space? What, was there fear associated with it when you first started? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think any kind of public speaking or, you know, live TV is ever natural. Um, so, yeah, there's just the, the normal fear and nerves attached to that, which I'm sure most people can relate to. But then, yeah, um, as a female coming into a male-dominated space where there hadn't been a lot before you, I mean, there's been some... Kelly Underwood's been doing it for a long time in a, in a slightly different role because she's a play-by-play commentator, but Sam Lane was doing it. But, yeah, there hadn't been a lot of women in, in footy and particularly in an analyst role. Um, so, yeah, to, to have that, um, to be a sort of face of change comes with added pressures on top of just live TV um, and live sport in particular. So, yeah, it was it was hard, like overanalyzing everything you say, um, yeah, fighting with not only trying to convince other people that you belong there and you know what you're talking about, but trying to convince yourself that you belong there because you haven't seen it um, growing up. I mean, again, I've described and don't need to go through how footy mad I was, but at no point did I ever consider a career in broadcasting because I just hadn't seen a female do that job. So I didn't see myself as that. Um, but I used to sit there on the couch with Dad. We'd turn the volume down on the TV with headphones like you're wearing because he was a he was a pilot. So we used <laughs> these are big, aren't they? <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it had the microphone and all. And we'd turn the volume down on the TV and do a whole game commentating it and taking ourselves very seriously. So that was me as a kid. But yeah, never considered that as a career because I just hadn't seen it. So then, through playing and um, meeting people at the AFL and starting to create a bit of a network and also just the changing times that, um, yeah, I think, yeah, through Gil's, Gil McLaughlin's leadership kind of started putting pressure on the broadcasters that if they're trying to attract a more diverse fan base with the push into women's footy, well, then we need to diversify the broadcast. So that's kind of where the opportunity came about. Um, but, yeah, then to sit there and do it. <laughs> There's no real media training other than to sit there, do it badly. <laughs> I'm sure you know. <laughs> Sit there, do it badly. You know, try and pretend that you're not dying on the inside. Mm-hmm. Get off and go through the painstaking task of actually listening to yourself back and then trying to get better <laughs> with a bit of feedback. Oh, it's and the then worst repeat. task, That's isn't me it? <laughs> <you're saying. laughs> 
Um, and then to do it in the social media world with what I said, that you're a face of change. Like I'm glad you're seeing positive now <laughs> because it wasn't always that way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and I was just, I was starting a new job as well. So I probably wasn't very good at it. How could I have been? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm also grateful for the way that both Channel 7 and SEN, who's the radio network that I've worked for, that they've kind of built, built my capabilities up. So I think it's been tricky at times because, um, and this is not just in sport, but I think in a lot of different industries, people, want change and are excited by change but it's also news and they want to be seen to be part of the change so like promoting that this is our first female whatever it actually adds a bit of pressure <laughs> um so I'm grateful for the way that they didn't kind of just throw me in the deep end and pat themselves on the back just for having a female doing it like they were very mindful to um build my capabilities slowly and um not kind of add too much of that pressure and even more recently like I did the grand final this year um the AFL men's grand final and it was the first time they'd had a female do like special comments from the box in a grand final and it there was no fanfare around it which I really appreciated because I just wanted to go and do a good job so I I have been grateful for that they've just put me into roles that they thought I was was capable of and served at different stages rather than rushed it for the sake of being first or um, trying to look good kind of thing. I think it's helped. I love the image of you as a little kid with headphones like this. You probably looked a lot cuter than (laughs) I did right now. But (laughs) have you had enough time to process, and it might be something post-retirement, the power of the role that you are now in as, as a woman playing football, but also that you are now on the television for kids like yours to see women occupying those spaces? Um, probably not fully, but I'm aware of it. Like I do draw on that um, a lot. Like even it's kind of like my wife are doing it. And, um, yeah, there's times like with my introverted personality and, that I had a career that I loved in midwifery and with some of the pressures that we're talking about and some of the criticism that I've gotten along the way because you are a face of change or I am a face of change, I've I've kind of used that as my, um, my – it is my why and it's kind of what gets me through those moments of, you know what, I'm tired of getting abused on social media or – I can't be bothered with this pressure anymore. Like when my mind goes there, I think to myself, you know, imagine telling my 10-year-old self that I had this opportunity and didn't do it or imagine, you know, all those girls out there that are looking and seeing that they can because I'm sitting there. Like if I'm achieving that, if there's a little girl sitting out there in her lounge room thinking I can do what Daisy's doing and I can do it better, (laughs) um, well, then I'm doing my job. So I kind of overlay that with any criticism that I get from the outer (laughs) from people who you know I don't actually need their feedback um yeah I I sort of overlay that and it protects me from any real criticism because I say something that they don't like about how a team's defending or about their team or about this player or that I don't think it's you know there's still those little girls out there watching and thinking that they can do it so yeah 
it's important to me, but I, I'm not, yeah, I don't kind of sit and think about it much because it's just always on to the next thing, but it's pretty cool. I've got the question from six-year-old Frida. Hi, Daisy. Do you get more nervous before playing a game or commentating a game of footy? Um, thanks, Frida. Uh, both, I get, I get nervous for both for different reasons. Um, probably commentating, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I think, yeah, because it's, it's new. Like, footy is something that I've already, always done, playing footy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit more natural for me, I guess, to, to go out and play footy. Um, but if it's a big game, I don't know. <laughs> I get pretty nervous for that as well. But, yeah, with, with commentating, yeah, I mean, the the play does the talking. Like, you're sort of a very small part of it. So I try and remind myself that now. Like, I've probably just gotten better at finding little tools to, to help my nerves with commentary as well, like any job or anything that you do, just practice. But, um, yeah, I used to get very nervous, many sleepless nights before having to do commentary. And I used to do so much preparation because I just – that's my go-to in everything that I do is to, you know, do as much preparation as you possibly can and you just can't fail because you couldn't have done any more. That's kind of been my my way in footy up until kids because I can't use that method anymore. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in commentary it was the same, but it probably worked against me a little bit because I would have so much information in my head and I would have spent so much time thinking about it that kind of detracts from your ability to just watch the game in front of you Mm. that you've watched your whole life. So probably just time and practice has enabled me to work out just how much time that I need to spend analysing and how much I need to just let it go and watch what's in front of me. So, yeah, that's been a good space. I probably didn't – it was only last year or the year before that I probably got to that point of knowing – how much was enough for, for me and yeah it's been a lot better since then it's a nice place to be this is a hard question but what does equality look like for you whether in women's football or in the media space um what what do you want to see happen moving forward oh what does it look like i guess just that any person has an opportunity to to work and and be represented in um, whatever it is, whether it's playing or commentary. Um, yeah, so that anyone out there can kind of be see themselves <laughs> would be a great place to be, equality wise, and that's not just for gender, um, but yeah, all kinds of diversity. I think we've got a long way to go still, and we're definitely improving and getting there. But I think. Because footy is everyone's game, it would be good when we get to a place where everyone who connects with it can can see themselves and hear themselves um, in the way it's played or broadcast. Um, that would be a good place. <laughs> that would be a very good place. I finish every episode with three would-you-rather questions. Number one, would you rather win a flag with the Ds this year or – Watch both of your kids win premierships in 20 years' time. <laughs> you can't ask that. <laughs> you can't ask that. I think I'm going to take it. Your, your flag? I think I'm taking it this year. <laughs> because my, just let me explain. Okay, please. These, these kind of questions need some <laughs> time to explain. 
Because in 20 years' time, say they're 23, they might have won. They might have come into whatever competition they're playing in in whatever sport. They might have already won four on the trot. Okay, great. So so for them to get the, the fifth in 20 years' time when they're 23, like, that's just greedy. Yeah, I'm they've had enough. Spot. This might be my only one. <laughs> I, I'm sure they'll understand when they grow up. Yeah. They'll understand your decision. <laughs> Number two, playing in a grand final, would you rather to win the game, kick a set shot from 30 out in front of goals or snap it from the pocket? Set shot from 30 out. Really? Yeah, more more like suspense and anticipation. Or is it a set shot snap? Yeah, or a... yeah. Okay. So equal amounts of suspense build up. No, I'm still taking the set shot because I haven't played forward like since, like I said, out of the square, potato cake eating girl in the boys team. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the whole episode, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But um, no, other than then, like this this season is the first season I've played forward. So set shot kicking, like the, the meat and potato set shot kicking from 30 metres out, is not something that I've been particularly renowned for around these parts. Okay, all right. So um, it's something I've put a lot of work into, so it would be very satisfying to just nail the the one that you should kick. Yeah, I like that. From 30 metres out directly in front. Okay, I like that. And it would be more me, like, let's be honest. <laughs> Number three, would you rather have to watch Bluey or The Wiggles on repeat all Bluey. day, every day for Bluey. the rest of your life? Bluey. Hands down. Not, I didn't even need to easiest. finish the question. No, no. I've heard we, good I things. Can't do wiggles. The Wiggles have run out of material. <laughs> Some of the stuff they're singing about heard it here first. could not be a song. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Big Red Car, I'll give them that. Yeah. Dorothy the Dinosaur, like, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat today. I've loved hearing more about your story. I've obviously played against you and and seen you from a distance for a number of years and the role that you've played in pioneering women's footy on on both sides of the game. It's been quite incredible. So I've absolutely loved having the chance to sit down and chat with you. So thanks so much for your time, Daisy. And thank you, Chloe. You're an inspiration. I don't know how you do it across both sports. It makes us Woody heads look silly. But yeah, thanks also for all the work that you're doing with the female athlete project. I'm wrapping my Oh, you got your socks recently. on. How good. Yeah. That's sick. I love that. I got the the, the tricolour three pack How and a hat good. recently. Oh, I love um, that. But yeah, love all that you're doing and the impact that you're having as well. It's awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you got something out of this episode, I would absolutely love it if you could send it on to one person who you think might enjoy it. Otherwise, subscribe, give us a review and make sure you follow us on Instagram at The Female Athlete Project to stay up to date with podcast episodes, merch drops and of course, news and stories about epic female athletes.